The sermon is the sanctity of life. And, and when, I, when I go into this, this topic, I realize that there are women in our congregation, perhaps even watching by television, who have ended the life of an unborn child and, and men who may have agreed to it and grandparents that may, may have even required it. So I realize this may be a difficult message, but it doesn't have to be a hopeless one because there is such physical and emotional suffering involved, but there's hope. No one is cut off from Christ because of any past sin, any past sin. When it, what cuts a person off from Jesus is condoning past sin and refusing to ask for forgiveness because for the repentant, there is always forgiveness and hope and cleansing and hope. The perfect example is that of Norma McCorvey. Does that name ring a bell? Norma McCorvey. She is the name, the real name for the pseudonym in the lawsuit Roe v. Wade. Jane Roe versus Wade. In 1969, she found herself pregnant on the streets of Texas. The pro-life laws in Texas were strong then, so she couldn't get an abortion, so she found a lawyer who convinced her to lie and say she had been raped. It went to the Supreme Court in 1972, and on January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States handed down its decision reversing all the laws in every state banning abortion. Now the rest of the story. 1989, Norma McCorvey came out and identified herself as being the Jane Roe in the original lawsuit, Roe v. Wade. She worked for an abortion clinic in Dallas, but soon got disillusioned when she saw how, how that industry was just all about making millions and billions of dollars. Pro-life Christians opened an operation rescue center nearby and began talking to her and witnessing to her and building a relationship with her. And, and eventually, Norma McCorvey was led to faith in Jesus Christ by their love. Today, Norma McCorvey is working for the pro-life movement, trying to undo the damage done by Roe v. Wade that she had once been a pawn in. All that to say, no matter what your past, God can cleanse you and forgive you. He did Norma McCorvey, and he can do everyone who turns to him in faith. And at the same time, we also have in our congregation, connected to our church family, you've seen some wonderful parents who've been blessed by the, the gift of adoption. If pregnancy is unwanted, they're always loving pro-life options rather than abortion. And if we say that the Bible is our guideline, and if we want to believe, if we believe the Bible and want to obey it, then let's see what it says about life. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over birds of the air, over cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. In Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established... What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him little less than God, then dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes 
along the paths of the sea. What is man that thou art mindful, thou even care about him? You created him. That's who he is. God's creation. Pray with me. Father, as we open our hearts to Scripture, we have let society, I think, close it to the love that you have for every created being, especially the pinnacle of your creation, mankind. Help us value life the way you value it and protect it at every stage. In Jesus' name, amen. The most important thing I want you to see in Scripture is that we are created in the image of God. Nothing else has the image of God stamped upon it. He created the animal kingdom first. He looked at it and said it is good. And then on the sixth day, his crowning creation was man. And he stepped back and he didn't say it's good. He said it is very good because in man and man alone, as opposed to every other thing in creation, God breathed his spirit and he placed on it his image. It's like when a new mother and father anticipate the arrival of their baby before birth and then that child arrives, what do they do? They look that baby over from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet and that love for that child deepens each and every day. And what do they say? Oh, look, he's got your eyes. Oh, he's got your family's mouth. He's got your long fingers or your long legs. And we beam with pride when we see those marks of ourselves on our children. Well, don't you think God does the same thing? He has put part of himself, his image, onto us. And he beams with pride when he sees us. And that makes us different from every other living creature from the moment of conception. Because that's when he stamps his image on us. Not at birth. Not at eight weeks, not at three months, not at six months, but from the moment of conception, God's image is marking us as we grow and develop as preborn children. Moving over to Psalm 8, this, this, psalmist, this psalmist is looking up into heavens and he's looking at the vast expanse, the glory and the grandeur of the universe, the sun and the moon and the stars, everything that God has established. And he says... What is man that you even care? The son of man that you care about him. In the midst of all this mind-boggling expanse of space and this creator that just made it with a wave of a hand, what value can he place upon tiny human beings? Possibly. What value can we possibly have? How can I or, or any of us have any value in relationship to all this, this majesty and grandeur of God's creation. And here's the answer, verse 5. Thou hast made him little less, some verses say, little lower than the angels. Thou dost crown him with glory and honor. The key word there is thou hast made him. God made him. The value of something depends on its creator. Let me give you an example. Here are two violins say. One violin made by the Acme Violin Company costs 290 bucks. The other violin is made by Antonin Stradivarius, cost 
$2.9 million. Now, there, there are two violins. What makes one more valuable than the other? One's made by the Acme Violin Company. One's made by Stradivarius. It's the creator determines its worth. Out of all that God created, he said human life should have the greatest value, and so he designed us accordingly. Now, I read somewhere in science that if you break all of our components down, we're worth about 92 cents. But when God puts us together, we are of inestimable value. Why? Because of our Creator. I've heard people say you aren't really alive, you're not really human until you were born. You have to be viable, they say. You have to be able to live on your own before you are fully human. And that's how they rationalize pre-birth abortions. Well, if you have to be viable, you have to be able to live on your own to be fully human. Don't say that to somebody that has a baby in an incubator, sustaining life. Don't say that to someone who has a loved one on a ventilator. They're not fully human until they're living on their own. No. They're alive in an incubator, on a ventilator, whatever. The most powerful argument for the beginning of life came from the medical community. It was a, a presentation we had in Rotary a few years ago, and I think about this all the time. The guy who, who gave the presentation was from LifeLink. And LifeLink is the organization that links uh, d organ donors after death to those on waiting lists for organs. And incidentally, I'm an advocate for that. I'm an organ donor. If, if I don't need any parts of me anymore, let someone else be blessed with them if they can. And when I'm sitting with a family in the emergency room after a, maybe a tragic auto accident, if I can help them make that decision, I want, to consider, I want them to consider organ donation so that some good can still come from something terrible. Anyway, this gentleman's making this presentation, and so I asked the question, when does the medical community decide that life has ended? What's the criteria used to say that death has occurred and those organs can be taken? And he said they use EEGs to measure brain activity. And when the brain activity is absent, that is the definition of death. And so I asked if the converse of that, if the absence of any brain activity is indicative of death, then doesn't it also follow that the presence of brain activity indicates life? You see where I'm going? The answer is yes. Well, when do you think brain activity begins in the life of a preborn child? Any guesses? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. I believe life begins at conception according to Scripture. But from this, based on their own criteria, from their definition of death, even the medical community would say that human life exists with the presence of brain activity for the preborn child that begins at eight weeks. Every year we have a fundraising banquet for the Pregnancy Care Center, also called Women's First Choice. And incidentally, it's located right behind our church on the corner of Central and Eighth. And you need to stop by there sometime and just do a, a tour of it. And see their facilities. They have a, a beautiful 3D ultrasound machine that our church helped buy. Uh, because when women come in there and they don't know what to do and they see that 3D image of their child growing inside of them, more often than not, they choose life. I called them this week and asked how many births did they celebrate in uh, 2016. 47. 
birthdays occurred in 2016 because of the presence and the ministry of the Pregnancy Care Center. One of the most profound speakers I heard was a lady named Pam at one of their fundraising banquets a few years ago. She contracted dysentery while drinking contaminated water as foreign missionaries in Philippines. She became so ill she lapsed into a coma. The doctors started giving her strong antibiotics, but they stopped when they realized that she was pregnant. They advised her to abort her pregnancy. She refused. And seven months later, she gave birth to a boy, and the Tebows named him Tim. And I'd have to look at Tim Tebow today and say he looks pretty healthy. The psalmist said God made us a little lower. One translation says a little lower than the angels. Actually, the Hebrew word here is Elohim. That's another word for God. So what the psalmist is saying is that God actually made us just a little lower than himself. Not lower than angels. We're above angels. It goes God, humans, angels. Angels are never created in the image of God. Only man has this distinction because God values us more highly than angels, more highly than anything else in all creation. And the sad, I read a, an article a few years ago, and irony is a man in Florida was arrested for stealing turtle eggs from a beach. He went to court, turtle eggs, mind you. His defense was these turtle eggs were not yet life. Guess what? He lost his case and was convicted and fined an exorbitant amount because the court said those turtle eggs held the potential for life. Why are our courts more protective of turtles than they are of human beings? Are you ready for the crowning argument about just how much God values us? I'll tell you how much he values you. He sent his only begotten son to die for you. He wouldn't do that for something he didn't treasure. When Jesus came to earth, God showed us how much he values our lives. Red and yellow, black and white, every one of us is precious in his sight. He appraised each one of us as being the, worth the death of his only son on Calvary's cruel cross. And that means, as C.S. Lewis once said, there can never be anything such as a mere mortal. No such thing as a mere mortal ever again because Jesus died for us. Every life is sacred and precious the, along the entire human lifeline from the moment of conception until death, both of which only God is wise enough to bring about. From abortion to euthanasia, if you believe what the Bible says about the sanctity, the preciousness of life, then the taking of any life is wrong. I love the story that Max Lucado tells about a sweater he keeps hanging in his closet. He never wears it. It's too small. The sleeves are too short. The shoulders are too tight. The buttons are missing. The thread is loose and frazzled. Logic logically, he says he just should take that sweater and and throw it out because he no longer has any use for it. And he'll never wear it again. It's just taking up space in his closet. That's what logic says. But love, he reports, won't let him. Why? What's so unusual about that sweater? To start with, it has no label. It has no tag. It has no care instructions. 
That's because it wasn't made in a factory, produced on an assembly line as a product of some nameless employee earning a living. Rather, that sweater was the creation of a devoted mother who knit it together for him as an expression of love. The sweater is unique. It's one of a kind. It's irreplaceable. Each strand was chosen with care and woven with affection. And so even though that old sweater has lost all of its use, it has lost none of its value. It's not valuable because of its function. It's valuable because of its maker. And so it is with each and every life, fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator, each and every strand of our bodies woven together with love. Woven by a creator who loves us from that moment of conception until that moment when we breathe no more on this earth and he takes us gently home. God has said life is sacred and so should we. Bow with me. Father, forgive us in society for standing idly by while preborn children are being snuffed out every minute of every day. And the abortion industry is such big business. It's going to take a mighty work of God to put an end to it. There's so many families that would love to be able to foster and adopt. There's so many orphans already in our world that need to be loved. And you have placed us here and given us resources and opportunities just to see what we'll do, how faithful we might be. Help us love like you love. Give us your heart for children, for the orphan, for the unborn child and help us do what's right. In your eyes we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.